Amen. Well, welcome Mission Hill and guests. I'm Trev, one of the pastors, uh, happy pastors on staff here at Mission Hill Church. And we've been in a series this summer uh, called essentially Today Counts Forever. And this was actually a freebie. Uh, So we kind of planned for the ability to move around and we thought it might be helpful as a staff to, to do a, somewhat of a flyover or a wrap-up of everything. We trust that you have perhaps been examining eternity from a different perspective this summer, which has really been the hope and the prayer, uh, certainly from myself, uh, that, we, that you would take some time to investigate perhaps the different angles of eternity that you had been considering And considering what's going on in our world, I don't think it's a better time to consider the things of eternity, the things that actually bring hope. So this morning, what I want to do is actually take a text from 1 Corinthians and make some applications for us as a church family. Uh, Now, the reason why I say that is one of the things you likely won't need a lot of help with is making an application as an individual. And that's because... You and I live in a culture where everything we do is about us, right? It's about me. It's about how does it affect me? But the Bible's perspective on me is that the me becomes an us once you become a Christian. That you don't actually individually exist all by yourself. You do, but you have been invited to be part of a family that is a kingdom that will last forever not on your own, but with others. And that's why in some ways, even when we gather on Sunday, this is a small image of what will one day be. Uh, So we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, the whole chapter, and I want to set the context for 1 Corinthians this way. This is written by a man who, first of all, persecuted the church, but secondly, started the church but thirdly, found lots of problems in the church. And so he wrote a letter that was very helpful to everyone about the specific problems that show up in the letter of 1 Corinthians, or we call it the book of 1 Corinthians. And these in particular started off with divisions in the church. Now, I didn't choose this text because I saw a lot of divisions in the church. I chose the text because I saw a lot of stuff of what we've been talking about, but it does start there, and so I need to make that clear that I didn't read a bunch of emails, found a bunch of division, and therefore decided to preach on division this morning. (laughs) That's not my plan at all. It's not condemnation. That's why we were not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to talk about the root of where division comes from that we as a church are susceptible to, regardless of the fact that we don't have division in our church at this point. It's only an email away, isn't it? (laughs) If you've worked in any company, division, conflict is only an afternoon or a bad email or a bad text or a call-in sick away. And so I think the fact that there's always that threat means we should regularly go, well, what would, how do we avoid division? How, how do we stay on track to the mission that Jesus has called us to? And so with that in mind, I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 to you, starting in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Wasn't my introduction so much kinder to you guys? 
Can you imagine getting that letter? I wish, I wish you weren't babies. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool for that, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. I think he's trying to say amen, just so you know. <laughs> so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are all yours. Yes, amen. And you are Christ, and Christ is God. So that's a very important verse. Very important verse. And I want to concentrate on the, the, the parts of this text that we normally don't concentrate on, but I'm, I'm going to need the help of God's Spirit to do it, so would you pray with me? Jesus, we ask for the blessing of your Spirit that is exactly that, a blessing. We can't earn it. I can't earn it. I can't even expect it. I can only hope for it and trust you for that. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and help me to make very clear your words that were written a long, long time ago to the people sitting here today who are part of Mission Hill Church. Trust that through your Spirit we will understand this better, not simply so we have better information, but so that we have transformation. We're asking for you to transform our hearts, something that I can't do through words, but you can do through your spirit. So I ask, would you do it for me, for us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in this text, what you have are wrong ways to build a kingdom or the kingdom of God. What you have is right ways to build the kingdom of God, and what you have are what happens when you know the difference between the two. 
if you follow the right ways and if you follow the wrong ways. So first of all, the wrong way to build God's kingdom. Uh, sometimes it's really helpful for us, right? When you, when you explain something, let me show you the wrong way to do this. And I think that's what we essentially have in the first part of chapter 3. This is the wrong way. This is Paul. And, and remember, he, he doesn't have an opportunity to, to correct anything except via letter. And so he has to be as clear as he possibly can. He says, boy, I wish I could address you as adults, but I can't. You're babies. Now, there are times in the Bible where we are told to be a baby or have a baby-like impulse is a good thing, okay? To, to want milk. There is, in First Peter, this image of desiring milk. But it's not talking about being a baby as much as it's talking about the desire of a baby. The insatiable desire of a baby to get food is exactly that. Insatiable. Anyone have kids? You know this, right? Any of us watched kids? You know this. Any of us been a kid? This includes us all. You have insatiable desires for whatever it is that will not, your, your appetite will not be satisfied until you have whatever it is you're looking for. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about you should have grown up a bit by now, but you haven't. So I've got to treat you like you're acting. You're acting immature. That's what's happening here. Spiritual immaturity. And that's the first thing that we can say. The wrong way to build a kingdom is to be spiritually immature. And if you're spiritually immature, what will happen is you will create division. And the reason why you will create division is because spiritually immature people think that it's them that builds the kingdom of God. Not God that builds the kingdom of God. They think divisions between Paul and Apollos really matter. By the way, this still happens. My proof of this? Social media. Look on social media, you will find, I follow this person, not this person. Stay away from this person. They say bad things. That person didn't put the period in the proper place in the sentence, and you should not follow them. Right? We have theological detectives like I never imagined in my life before who literally comb through the internet looking for one little thing that someone may say. I, I'm not sure what it's doing, actually. Sometimes it's helpful. Most times it's not. Most times it's essentially this kind of argument again. I follow Paul. I follow Paulus. I follow John Piper. I follow Tim Keller. You could insert that into the text. For those of you who don't know, those are very famous evangelical superheroes of the time, right? But when you use those words, that actually happens. You talk to me, I don't, I don't read that guy's books. I read this guy's books. I read her books. I don't read her books. It's like, oh my goodness. This is Paul going, this is why we can't have a nice church, you guys. <laughs> You're immature. And the way out of immaturity, actually, he says is to understand how the kingdom of God actually works, which is what I want to concentrate on. Let me make sure that you understand that immaturity is not what someone would be described as a new Christian. When I say immaturity, I'm not saying new Christians are bad, okay? Uh, put it this way. Uh, when do you tell someone that they're immature? 
when they should be, right? No one says to a baby, you're so immature, <laughs> right? I mean, wouldn't that have been ridiculous if the baby that was crying was such an immature child? You'd have been like, what a jerk. Because they're not immature. They're acting their age. They're acting like a toddler. They're acting like a young person. It's the 40-year-old who squawks during the service who you're like, well, you're not acting all that mature, right? So when I say immature, I am not saying you shouldn't be a new Christian or you, shouldn't, you should be beyond. I'm saying, what do you know? How do you know how to act? Where should you be? Right? And, and Paul is saying, some of you should have grown up a bit by now. Like, you, you keep showing up, and you keep having the same problems, and you, you really need to develop some maturity. And part of that immaturity is you just don't want to understand how the kingdom of God works. You want to maintain that, that the kingdom of God works the way you would build a kingdom. Because in verses 1 to 5, what you have is how we build our kingdoms. I mean, you don't have to go f- much further than on Twitter, Twitter, Twitterer. On Twitter, they call them followers. Like, I follow. Like, it's, it's right, I'm not making this stuff up. It's, it's right there. But the real issue behind that is that Part of the reason why we're so immature and we have divisions is something else that shows up in the text, and that is the individuality that is rampant today was just as rampant in those days. And this is why I would say as a church family, one of the things you probably don't need a lot of encouragement is is to look out for yourself. And I know some of you might push back a little bit against me for this, but if you watch any television, if you watch any advertising, if you read anything in the self-help books, by the way, self-help is not talking about helping others. It's talking about me. You know how big that section is in the bookstore? It's getting bigger all the time. We're watching the science fiction shrink and the self-help grow. I mean, something's wrong with our culture when that's the case, right? Amen, science fictioners? Anyone? <laughs> but what I'm saying is we, we're, we actually don't need a lot of encouragement to think as individuals. What I think we need more than ever is to, to grapple with the hard truth that we are not our own. This comes actually from... Uh, Alan Noble, who's written on this recently, as late as 2021, uh, reminded me this week that the first part of our catechism is, what is my greatest hope in life and death? Do you know what the answer is, anyone remember? Of course you don't. Christ, but that we are not our own, but Christ's. That, that's a first thing. You know what a catechism is? A catechism is something that's trying to explain what's really important to remember. The first thing that the catechizers thought of was to remind people, first of all, the first thing that gives you hope is that you are not your own. You belong to Christ. I don't think we believe that as Christians in today's culture. I think we think we are our own. I think we think, I get to decide on everything. 
I mean, let's do a test case, in myself included. Did you wake up this morning going, well, I'm not actually my own, so I belong to Mission Hill Church and uh, need to be there this morning because they need me. Nobody did. I didn't either, by the way. Because that's just not how we're taught to think, which is why we need to gather together to remind ourselves we're not our own. We are not our own. Our only hope is that someone else owns us. Our only hope is that Jesus Christ owns us. Now, if you are not a Christian this morning or you're a new Christian and that sounds daunting to you, let me reassure you, that is the best news you could ever receive because everything else will exist if that is not true and you are your own, then you have to come up with your own standards, your own judgments, your own everything. And I can tell you from watching it, from raising teenagers, that putting identity in the hands of someone who's immature is not a good idea. It doesn't work very well. Putting the hands of identity, the responsibility of building identity into mature hands is not a good idea. But the good news of the gospel is you don't need to invent your own identity if you're Jesus is Christ. You can use his. You don't even borrow it. He gives his identity to you. The good news of the gospel says, take all of your mess, all of your life, all of your hopes, all of your dreams, all of the garbage in your life, all of the great things in your life. You pile them all up and you say, Jesus, here you go. And Jesus piles up everything in his life, none of which is bad, and says, if you trust that I can be your identity, you can have everything that I have. I mean, that should sound to you like good news right now. Because it is. It's why it's good news for everyone. That's what gospel means. Good news for every single person. And that's why, as we move into the second part of this, when we talk about the right way to build the kingdom, the first thing Paul says is, if anyone thinks they can build the kingdom of God on someone other than Jesus, they're wrong. In, in other words, as we move into the second part, the right way to build the kingdom the right way to build the kingdom is to start with Jesus Christ. In fact, it says, no one can actually build a foundation other than Jesus Christ. And some of you might say, well, I've seen churches where they're churches and they don't have the foundation of Jesus Christ. And I would say, actually, they might look like a church, but they are not. Let's just call it what it is. There are many organizations. There are many groups of people. Some of them very, actually, quite well-meaning, but have decided that, no, Paul was wrong. We should build a foundation on a nice building, on lots of people, on good music. And, and Paul says, one thing that will perpetuate your immaturity is ignoring the foundation of Jesus Christ. He says, because of what eventually will happen. So he doesn't say it immediately falls apart, but he does say, eventually, there will be a fire of judgment that comes, and it will burn away anything that doesn't belong. That's the process of purification or judgment day. It's a smelting image. And all of you are like, you know, hobby smelters, so you understand that image very well, right? 
I don't know a lot about smelting, but I know this. If you burn it as hot as you can, you burn away impurities, and what remains is very pure, and it's actually way more valuable as a result. And so what Paul is describing, he's using an imagery of smelting that I believe Peter uses as well. Therefore, my conviction after even this summer study is that this image of smelting, which I actually think comes originally from Daniel, is very important to the early church apostles. They, they love this image because it both captures the sense of excruciating suffering but also the sense of the purification process, but also the sense of whatever remains behind is better and lasts. And so if we want to build, if we as a church want to build God's kingdom, we must have Jesus Christ as our foundation, which means that you should call your preachers to talk about Jesus all the time. And when they don't, you should tell somebody, See, that was, that was very motivational, but I need to hear about Jesus because he's the foundation of this church. Just so you know, this is the number one mandate of our elders and our biblical teachers. Talk about Jesus because he's the foundation. He didn't just start the church, he maintains the church. He doesn't just maintain the church, he's building the church. He's not just building the church, he's building it through all of eternity, and you and I have been invited to be part of that. This has to be part of how we think as a church. And so when you get bored that we keep talking about Jesus, my kind but very important statement to you is, then you're going to be bored the whole time I'm here. Because this is really important to me. Because it's important to Jesus. Because if, if we lose that, what we're doing is useless. Did you hear me? I use the word useless. Paul says, it doesn't last. I don't know about you. I, I'm, as I get older, I am so tired of buying junky stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm still a little bit of a Dollar Tree guy. Don't get me wrong. Dollar Tree is improving the quality a bit. But there are times when I just get sucked into that and I buy crap that I know that I'm just going to have to buy again and again and again and again. Right? And, and there's times that I'm like, why don't you just spend the money and get something that lasts? And then you get something that lasts and you can't go back. Right? That happened with me with shoes about 15 years ago. I started getting good shoes and I can't go back anymore. I'm like, I buy used shoes. That's all I buy. Why? Because I find them at Valley Village. But they're good, they, they're used. But they're good because I'm tired of things that don't last. Are you tired of things that don't last? Yeah. Friends, if you're tired of things that don't last, then you need to remind us again and again, we are about Jesus Christ because everything else doesn't last. Everything else you're doing doesn't last. That's exactly what Paul says. Number one thing. One of friends of mine sharing Jesus, who was talking with his friend about Jesus, and he was explaining how good it was to understand who God was. And my friend said to him something that I don't think I'll forget for quite some time. He said, oh, just wait. Just wait till you get to Jesus. This is how we should think as a church. Okay, let's have good coffee. Good, but we can't wait to tell you about Jesus. Right? Come on in. We're singing songs. 
the music's great. Yeah, but you just got to meet Jesus. I, I mean, wouldn't it be great if you just heard the word Jesus count during our coffee time so high that we couldn't count it every Sunday? That's, that's a church I want to be part of. And I would hope that you would want to be part of that kind of church as, as well. Secondly, I think the text shows us that to be a, a church that understands how to grow a church according to the kingdom of God is understanding who actually brings that growth. There's a few pet peeves. Okay, there's a million pet peeves I have. One of them is people telling you about their pet peeves, but... One of these pet peeves is when pastors talk about other pastors and how they can grow churches. Bothers me. And I, I, don't, I don't mean any personal indictment against you if you say something like that, but the reason why I say that is that it's impossible for pastors to grow churches. Not real churches. Again, listen carefully. It is impossible for pastors or staff members to grow churches if they're real churches. What's my proof? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which says, God brings the growth. I planted, I watered. Paul is not ashamed of what he's done. He said, I, like a master builder, I don't actually think he's bragging there. He's saying what master builders do is put a foundation in that's so good that no matter who comes along can work off that work, right? I worked in the trades for a bit. There are certain trades where you don't want to work after them, right? Am I right? Am I right? I'm right, guys, right? And the, the other one's like, yeah, it's always the plumbers. And sometimes the electricians are like, yeah, it's the electricians, whatever. But you know what it's like to build after someone who doesn't know what they're doing. It's a disaster. Like, I wish they didn't work. That, that's what you think. And Paul is simply saying, like a master builder, I built not because of me, because he said, God, God did this. This was a grace to me. But he, but he says, like a master builder, I laid the foundation, and it's Jesus Christ. And then I put my hands above my head and... Watched everyone else work, and Apollos came along, and he watered. But it wasn't even Apollos who did all this great work. He said it was God who gave the growth. And then he says, he who plants and he who waters are one. He says it doesn't really make a difference who is who. The important thing is God gives the growth. Now, we as people watching staff and elders, and I'll put myself in in the general population, because I actually don't serve as a governing elder on this uh, church board, that we can put pressure on our elders by saying, we need our elders to grow the church. Or we can pray that God grows the church. And we can take the pressure off the elders when we see them trying to do things that will simply get more people because that's what we that's what you're supposed to do. I'm telling you, this, this is a vision for both elders and those who are not elders. For, for new time visitors, guests, for people who have been there from the inception, we can be positive or negative about this. We have some influence here. We can remind 
when the pressure comes to do things a certain way, to, to, to get more programs, to take away programs that aren't working, to simply say, well, it's not really our job to grow this church. Our job is to steward what we've been given. That's it. I mean, doesn't that take so much pressure off, friends? I mean, it allows you to, to, to use what God has given you, but it takes all of the pressure off of you. You don't have to convert anyone. You know, one of the things that will not get a whole lot of uh, time is the different kinds of people that have shown up to Mission Hill Church in the last three years. And, and I wish I could tell you all these stories because they're so exciting, but I, I, I literally don't know that they're my stories to tell. But one thing I can tell you is this. There are people here that have no business being here. What I mean by that is there's no sane reason why they should have shown up to a service in the Southeast. It was God. We have computer algorithm stories that don't make sense. You know what a computer algorithm is, right? You do this, 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 and then this, this, and this, right? There's a story where someone Googled Calgary Church and Mission Hill showed up. If you know how algorithms work, you know how wrong that is. It's not possible, actually. It's a mini miracle. There are people here at this part of this church family because of a, computer, a wrong computer algorithm. Come on. I mean, you can make this stuff up, but you wouldn't. But why does that happen, friends? You know why it happens? Because God provides the growth. That's why. It's actually pretty simple. Are our elders stewarding well? I think they are. I think they're doing a fantastic job. I think we should hear more about them. I think they should be encouraged all the time. If you know who an elder is after the service, tell them thank you. Thank you for taking care of us. You do a great job. But have they grown this church? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. It is not their responsibility. It's not even possible for them to do. This also means that if God requires, or if God's the one who's responsible for the growth, then our prayer level should, should start going up, shouldn't it? You know what prayer is? I, I'm, babe, you don't have to answer this because I know you know what prayer is. My wife's been passionate about prayer ministry for a long, long time, and prayer ministry is probably a bad word to use because it's not really a ministry. It is. It's part of being in relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the reasons why she's passionate about this. I, I see her at home. She doesn't pray for show. She prays because she doesn't know what else to do. I got lots of funny stories about this. I remember being on a flight one time and I thought she was swearing at the person next to her. <laughs> She's muttering under her breath something. I'm trying to watch a movie, be all spiritual, and she's over there muttering under her breath, and she's like, woo, woo, woo. I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, did you hear me? I was like, me in like 15A, B, C, D, 16A, B, C, D. She's like, I was praying. I'm like, how do you pray like that? She goes, I don't know how not to. She actually believes God does things. That's why she prays. 
She didn't go to class to learn that. She does this because she knows that God brings the growth, and if God doesn't show up, we don't grow. It's that simple. This isn't a guilt trip. But when we offer prayer after a service, what we are saying is, do you think you can do it all? No. If no, then come forward and receive prayer. That's all we're, at, we're saying. Say, so I'm, I'm scared to go front and pray. as might, might show people that I don't have my life together. I was like, uh, we know you don't have your life together. Join the club. We're all, we don't have our life together. Let's just do it together. Let's be dysfunctional together. Let's, let's reach out to God and say, God, we, we can't do this without you. Like when I pray before the service, I, I don't think my words will have an impact. I really believe that. I only believe that if God's spirit works, you'll listen to me and what God has put on my heart. This also requires, thirdly, that we understand our place in the city and your place on the team. And I think Aaron's going to be... Uh, bringing a lot of this stuff out through the next sermon series that he, he's called Simple. He's pretty passionate about this. I'm looking forward to it. Um, he's not even letting me preach one of those messages, so he's really passionate about this. <laughs> but, but in this, one of the things he's going to encourage us to do is find out your gift, find out your place in the team. Because... Again, let me remind you, if you said yes to Jesus, you've said yes to his church. That's how this works. You don't get to choose one or the other. It's like when you marry in. You get the in-laws, whether you like it or not. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. I just, that just rhymed. That wasn't supposed to rhyme. Sorry about that. But one of the things that's really important for us to do as not as individuals just within this church, but as a church family, understand what are we called to as a church in this city? Because we're part of the church of this city. You know, I think we've discovered some of these things even as we've done internship with Aiden. We've realized, hey, we might have an opportunity to do some things here that we hadn't thought of before we had Aiden. We didn't have him, but he showed up again and asked for it. You know what I'm saying. Just scratch that video. Forget I ever said that. But what we began to discover is, hey, maybe, maybe there's something here that's, that's perhaps not being done that we can do. And that is, I don't know if you've noticed, but churches have had a tough time making it through COVID. Pastors have flaked out. Pastors have genuinely had to quit. Pastors have lost their faith. Churches are struggling to find leaders. Churches are struggling to find qualified elders. We might have a chance to train some of the next generation of future pastors, elders, preachers, teachers. I want to be part of that. I mean, this is why I'm passionate about Aiden. Love that guy. I'm not trying to raise funds for his love offering either. I'm saying we have an opportunity to continually impact what if we did this over and over and over again? That was one of the things we did as a church. Because in our city, we, we just need more pastors, period. We just need more leaders, period. Wouldn't it be great if there's a waiting list again? There's so many young people wanting to enter ministry that there just wasn't church. They'd actually have to start planting them. You know where I'm going with that. 
One of my favorite movies is called White Squall, little known movie to, to many, not to my friends, because I repeat it over and over again how much I love this movie. It's actually what bonded me to Corey back in the day, was the movie White Squall. It's a story of uh, about 15 or 16-year-old uh, men who go on a sailing trip uh, for about eight to ten months, I think, of the year, eight months, somewhere in there. And uh, they, they get educated as they sail around, and they learn both educationally uh, things, but they really learn how to work as a team. And there's one phrase that comes out of this that is just before the captain, he gives his big speech at the beginning. If you've done any leadership training with me ever, I use this clip all the time. And it's right on the bell. It says, where we go one, we go all. Amen. Where we go one, we go all. What if we thought like that as a church? Where we go one, we are. are you hurting? We're all hurting. Are you happy? We're all happy. Are you planting a church? We're all planting a church. Are you, are, are you going out to another area of the country because your job, then, then our prayers are going with you. What if, we, what if our city thought like that? What if all the churches in the city said, where we go one, we go all. No one gets left behind. Amen. I appreciate that. Future Pentecostal over there, just so you know. Wouldn't that be tremendous? Wouldn't you want to be part of a church? Wouldn't you want to be in a city like that? Maybe part of what Jesus has put on the heart of Mission Hills, leaders, elders, staff members, is to bring that to this city, to bring that awareness that we are on the same team that where we go one, we go all. Because it says at the very end of the text, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos. So Paul worked hard, Apollos worked hard, and guess who benefits? Me and you. And then we need to understand what will last. Because there will be a judgment. We talked about that. If you're unaware of how Judgment Day works, go back a couple months on the sermon series, and we talked about that fairly extensively. And Paul is bringing that back again. The capital D Day will disclose it in 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. Now, I think this is a symbolic fire. I still think it's a judgmental fire. It's a smelting fire is what it is. And wood, hay, and straw don't survive smelting fires, but gold and precious metals do. And as if we didn't get it the first time, Paul says in verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple? Now, here's where I want to help you with the translation of this. You read this and you thought that was actually talking about you individually. It's not. A better translation is, y'all are God's temple. I'm not kidding. This is a plural you. You are God's temple. You. Every one of you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, are part of God's temple, which is what? Indestructible. This is why God's so defensive. He says, if anyone tries to destroy God's temple, he will get destroyed. You don't get between God and his temple. That's what it's saying. You're on his side or you're not. There, there isn't middle ground, actually. But if you are on his side, there's nothing that stops you. Nothing. You all are God's temple. You all are God's temple. You can quote me on that. I don't mind. 
It's a reminder that there are things that are going to disappear and there are things that are not going to disappear. God's temple's never going to disappear. It may not be real clear who's part of his temple right now, but one day it'll be crystal clear. It'll be so clear there won't even need to be the other. That's coming. When will that be? Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. And so what will result if we all understand this? You know I could continually go on with this text because there's so much good stuff here. But what will result if we really understand the difference? Number one, if we really understand the difference, the first thing that I think we can see in the text is that we will have confidence. God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. That's awesome. I mean, this is a, this, this is a theological who's your daddy. This guy. The guy who created the universe. The guy who's building a kingdom that can't be destroyed. The guy who's given, me an inter- given us an inheritance that cannot fade. The guy who, who, who put me into existence but will continue my existence to worship him and enjoy him forever. That guy. That's my dad. That's my dad. That's our dad. Should give us a lot of confidence when we see the shaky things around us. And this is what it means to preach and review the gospel in your, in, in your heart every day. It means to go back and find out who your dad is again. Who's your dad? When you're in pain, who's your dad? When you're out of money, who's your dad? When you're sick, who's your dad? When you're depressed, who's your dad? When you're happy, who's still your dad? When you see someone who needs your dad, is that what you see? You see like, oh, thankfully I'm not like that person, or do you see, man, they just need to know who my dad is. Secondly, I think understanding the difference will bring the kind of humility that is required to receive grace. Did you know that you cannot receive the grace of God without humility? It's not a work. Humility is basically saying, I am who I am because of who you are. That's what humility really is. Humility means you don't need to stoop lower than you actually are, but it also means you don't go above who you actually are. It means how you are gifted You can be confident in that. But it guards against the self-deception that we'll hear in our culture which says, you're you're enough by yourself. Because that's what you'll hear. You are enough. Here's what we need to say. No, I am not. But my God is. My dad is. And that's good enough for me. And lastly... It means that we will get the grace that we so desperately need. We will get the grace. I love that. I I underlined it this morning. So let no one boast in men. Let's not boast in our church. Let's not boast in our pastors or even our elders. Let's boast in Jesus. Let's be thankful for who we have been given to lead us. But let's boast in Jesus Christ and say, hey, do we have a great church? I think so, but why? Because we have a great Jesus, that's why. And he is gracious to us. 
For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world. He's listing off the superheroes of the time. Or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. If God has Christ secure, that means you're secure. It means you have all the grace you need to make it as far as you need to go. It means that when our time on this earth is done, it's just going to get better. I think that truth is something that just keeps coming home for me, especially as I see all the pain this summer. As I've seen all the tragedy, all I can think of is we need a grip of eternity that can handle this stuff. Because it might only get worse in that sense. But if we have an imperishable hope, if we have the humility to receive the grace that we need, friends, it's just going to get better. It's just going to get better. I need that. I know you need that. And so let me pray for us as I close. I also want to make mention that uh, we'll be preparing for communion as well. So as they sing, come ahead, come, come forward and, and partake. And, and let me remind you that as you come forward this morning, that phrase, where we go, one, we go all. That when you come forward, what you're saying is, I'm, I'm part of the family. I'm part of the imperishable, undeniable, future kingdom family. And I'm thankful for that. It says, when you partake of these things, what you should be remembering is the death and the resurrection hope that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The, the symbolic elements are the bread and the cup to remind us of his death, his life, his resurrection, his ascension, and his future kingdom. Let's add some. So some of you, you can, you can walk forward with a smile on your face saying, thank you for forgiving me, but not just forgiving me, but forgiving me everything that Paul and Apollos and Cephas earned. Because they didn't really earn it. They were given it, just like me. So let me pray for us as we close. If only I could remember this all the time, Jesus. I would never turn from you. If only my friends and I at Mission Hill Church could remember this every minute of every day, we would never have any division, conflict, problems. But we do. We forget. And so as we partake this morning, Jesus, would you simply press home again? First of all, that we are forgiven of our sins, that we cannot earn back favor to you we can only receive it. But secondly, Jesus, would you send your Holy Spirit in a way that can help us remember better for the coming week that some of us have ahead. Some of us have a rough week ahead. Some of us don't even know that we have a rough week ahead. So we're going to need that grace in the future. We're going to need that reminder of what we participated in on Sunday morning, on Wednesday afternoon. Jesus, would you do that through your Spirit? Would you bring to mind for those who are struggling this week and will struggle this week, who their dad is, what their dad gave up to get them.
to purchase them, to make them sons and daughters, to give them an inheritance. Would you do that, Jesus? Because I can't. But you can. And so I'd ask this on the basis of your grace, your goodness, your mercy, your gloriousness, and your absolute genius in the way you have given your son, created an opportunity for us through faith. I ask that, Jesus, in the powerful name of you, Jesus. Amen.